You obviously know Kung Fu. Thanks for checking out this inspirational chat with martial artist Steve Austin, owner and founder of Scion BJJ. I'm Jeff Vita, and this is the Kung Fu Driving Podcast. Welcome to the Kung Fu Driving Podcast. Adjust your speaker box, sit back, relax, and remember, your Kung Fu may be good, but mine is better. Joining me tonight is martial artist, instructor, trainer, owner and operator of Scion BJJ in Pennsylvania, Steve Austin. Steve, thank you so much for joining the Kung Fu Driving Podcast tonight. Hey, man. Thank you so much for having me on. It's, a, it's an honor to talk with you. It's great to have you. Um, I hooked up with you on uh, social media, and uh, you have a great story that I want to share uh, with everybody. Um, first and foremost, though, um, how are you hanging in, in the face of COVID-19? I'm still here. You know, I woke up today, so it's a good day. Kind of taking it day by day and... You know, just keeping to like some kind of positive routine, keeping me keeping me busy. You know, I have my workouts that I do each day. I have my house projects or chores. Uh, I try to make sure I get like a little bit of leisure time and some like something like a little educational in there. So as long as I kind of hit those elements, I'm hanging in there. Cool. You know, how, how about yourself? I'm doing okay. It's it's a crazy time. Uh, I would never have guessed that I would be living through a global pandemic, but here we are. So, uh, but everybody's healthy and uh, we're keeping on. So it's all good. That's kind of how I keep looking at it. Like everybody in the house is uh, healthy. We have food on the table. Um, so that's my main perspective. As long <laughs> as I got those two things first, then I guess everything's okay. Very good. Very cool. Now, uh, one other question. Uh, how often do you get flack for Steve Austin? <laughs> um, so <laughs> those. So I'm 38 years old. Uh, my whole entire childhood, it was always a six million dollar man yes uh colonel steve austin so anytime somebody references that i usually know they're like 40 and above and yeah. then stone cold of course came out when i was in grade school and high school and to, to this day people i went to school with even if i wasn't friends with them they still call me stone cold uh <laughs> so it is kind of it, it's funny but it is what it is um i think it's it's more interesting because like i compete here and there with jujitsu so every time like somebody mentions my name at a competition people think like oh my god st- who and then and I come out and they're disappointed. So they can't be that disappointed. That's <laughs> just not what they were expecting. Uh, that's cool. Um, so you are a, a owner operator of Scion BJJ in Pennsylvania. How has uh, the whole pandemic affected how you're um, running the school nowadays? Because uh, are you keeping uh, the school open uh, for classes or anything like that? No. So I shut down. I, I tried to hang in there till the very last moment because um, where I'm at in PA is Bucks County. We had our neighboring county shut down like a week before where it was like kind of mandatory, like they closed all businesses. And my wife is a tattoo artist in that area. Mm. So once she kind of got shut down, we were getting some of the notifications that our, our township was going to be next. So I was kind of hanging in there till like the very last minute. Until I got was told to. Some of the jujitsu schools jumped on it ahead. Um, I really just told everybody, look, I'm I'm sanitizing the mats more now than ever before. It's like 18 times a day. I felt like, you know, you keep yourself clean if you're not feeling well. Stay home, and I'll do my part. You do your part. But then we got shut down by the township at the beginning of March. So. I've been shut down completely since then. I can't even be in that building without 
or without being by myself because the township told us that they're going to actually take away business license and fine us if we're caught running classes still. So it completely shut everything down. And now, I mean, it's going on almost a month and we're still not open. So what I was doing like the first week was Facebook live videos, trying to give people solo drills. A lot of the guys, I share content with my students, so they know a lot of drills. They know a lot of different uh, mobility stuff, but I was pumping a lot of that contact out to the students. Um, I, I saw how to make a homemade grappling dummy. So I did a quick little video and like a 30 minute lesson plan, uh, drill based on that for them. And now we're going to be starting zoom classes. I wasn't exactly thrilled to do that, but it's some, something's better than nothing. And it's just a nice way to stay in contact with them. And it makes me feel, it brings back a little bit of joy in my life too. When I, when I see the students. Yeah. That's cool. No, that's cool. At least you're getting something done, and I'm sure the students appreciate it. Yeah, and they they've all been super supportive about it. Um, you know, we've you know, some people are affected extremely financially through this, so they they had to freeze their memberships. We don't even have an open date in sight. They keep going back and forth with stuff inside May, but even that, like with my industry, it's such a hands-on industry. I have no idea what our regulations will be when we are allowed to open back up and, you know, talking with a lot of different owners, we're all kind of in the same boat. Like, are we going to have guidelines? Are we going to have to have restricted classes? Uh, are you going to have to train with certain partners for so many weeks until you can switch? Uh, it's such a, a mess right now and kind of just taking it day by day, really. Yeah, as, as are many people. But uh, yeah, hopefully uh, everything will be on the other side of this sooner rather than later. <laughs> Oh, fingers crossed, man. And, and my, my thing is, like, I unfortunately know people who have lost family members to this virus. Whether you want to believe it's real or if you want to believe the media is propping it up, we know people that lost family members. And to me, like that, even if it's a small percent, staying open an extra or staying closed an extra few weeks, if I got to do that to save my good friend of mine's parent, it is what it is, man. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, I know you as Steve Austin BJJ, so uh, I assume Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a big part of your life. <laughs> yeah, I have to put that, otherwise you're not going to find me because something <laughs> comes up. <laughs> right. Well, can you take me through uh, your martial arts background? Uh, I know you, you're in BJJ now, but that wasn't where you started, right? No, so jiu-jitsu is like my, my core uh, martial arts that I've been stuck with for like the last 20 years, but I, I originally started with Taekwondo uh, around like 14, 15-ish did that for a few years, had to go out for a couple surgeries. And then when I got back into training, I, I switched over to Kempo, did Kempo for a few years. And then I got introduced to jujitsu and I kind of like took over from there, did a little bit of MMA afterwards. And then some more other grappling styles, wrestling, a little bit of judo, basically what I need for my jujitsu. I, I, I still keep, even though I compete, I still keep a very self-defense base because that's a why I originally got into martial arts for self-defense and competition's kind of nice and everything, but it's not my main focus. And, you know, I do a couple other little things. Like, um, I, I do a lot of kickboxing as well in my gym with my instructor that I have training there. I do a lot of weapon stuff now more since I work with so many different law enforcement and military guys, it's nice to know. So getting a, an idea of how to shoot, how to work the firearms that, you know, different concepts, you know, so I try to mix it up a little bit, but jujitsu is the main thing for me. <laughs> well, uh, so a lot of people start martial arts because uh, they are responding to being bullied. Uh, and I said at the top of the show that you had a really inspirational story to share. Uh, and it was a story that when I finally got around to reading through it was 
was really moving uh, and really uh, kind of incredible because the level of bullying that you underwent was on a completely different level due to a handicap that you were born with, right? It was called uh, leg perthes. Is that how you pronounce it? Leg perthes, yes. Leg perthes. Okay. So can you explain what that is and and the problems that it, it eventually caused for you? Yes. Yeah, so kind of starting from the beginning and you know not dragging it out too long. I was about three years old when I started having some some leg issues, complaining about my leg. I, I walked around like 10 months old and there was no issues, no problems. Everything was growing right. And around two and a half years old, I started getting some leg pains, like in my hip and thigh area. And I would complain to my mom. She took me to a doctor. They kind of wrote it off as just like growing pains. From there, it was fine. It would be off and on. But then it got real bad and my hip basically just stopped working. So now from that, my mom gets me uh, checked out by a couple different doctors and we we're going back and forth and they were very concerned since like I was fine and then all of a sudden I wasn't. They're doing a bunch of different tests and one of the doctors came back and said that I had spina bifida and that if they didn't perform a surgery uh, immediately, this could be life-threatening and long-term disabilities from it. And my mom kind of like was in like a panic and, and agreed to it. And they did this procedure and the doctor operated on me under the guidelines of having spina bifida, which is a completely different illness. So I was misdiagnosed from the beginning. Turned out even worse. The doctor had a, a drug problem and actually was abusing the hospital's narcotics and completely botched up my surgery, passed out in the operating room An intern took over and it kind of did more harm than good with this surgery. And even though I was born with a hip disease, I have a lot of other lifelong illnesses because of this first surgery. It was kind of like a spiral effect of things that happened afterwards because of this. So after I come out of the surgery, one of the biggest side effects that happened was with them diagnosing me as spina bifida in the surgery, they basically shoved a a tube into my spinal cord, a shunt into my spinal cord. And doing that, they severed a bunch of nerves. One of the main nerves that had it, that got severed was the one that allows me to urinate on my own. So I can't pee on my own. I have to be what's called self-catheterization. So I have to use a catheter to go to the bathroom anytime. So that was something that I wasn't born with. That was a side effect from this surgery. But that issue would cause so many bladder problems throughout the years and they just kind of always piggyback each other down. So we got all this issues going on. I'm still having the leg problems. We finally get hooked up with um, a doctor from Shriners and a couple of different other hospitals because I was part of St. Christopher's CHOP and uh, Shriners Hospital growing up. And it turned out that they fit, figured out it was my hip problem. It was leg perthes. So what had to be done was I had to spend about three years in a what's called an A-frame brace. Basically, they had a with leg perthes. Your first year having it, your your hip deteriorates, and then you're in the braces, and it kind of forms back together. Normally, you're between like eleven ish, twelve ish when when you get it. I was three years old when I got it. I was a very young age for this, which is also why they kind of wrote it off as a mixed diagnosis. But again, like I said, this doctor had his own things going on. Yeah. I was actually very fortunate because apparently he did a brain surgery on a girl after me and man, she, she's bad. Oh, but really? yeah, you know, I don't know. Um, that's again, that's a whole nother story in itself. Um, back to, back to that. So now I'm, um, I'm in these braces 
I have all these problems going on with my bladder. I still have to be catheterized. It turned out that, you know, this was something that I was going to end up having to deal with the rest of my life now being catheterized. So being in these braces, um, the braces almost weighed more than I did. Basically my hips were spread at a 90 degree angle, like almost at a right angle. Um, I couldn't fit through regular doors. So I would either have to turn sideways or kind of like, you know, configure my way through and find the right shape to fit in the hole. And it, there's a whole process of learning how to get around, moving around on the ground, different movements. And I was in these from about three and a half till close to seven years old, like six and a half. So I spent a good three years in them. And, you know, it's when, when you're that young, you just kind of like go with the flow. You don't really understand what's happening. And, you know, it's like this to me, this was just normal. It's how I had to get around. It really wasn't until... Like you start going out into the general public and like when people stare at you and look at you, you realize like, hey, something's not normal. Yeah. So that it was an easy target, you know, for those few first few years of just it, being in the braces. I look sick. So it was easy to kind of, oh, man, what's wrong with that kid kind of thing. Yeah. It, it, it's uh, it's hard to, I guess, imagine that seemed somewhat normal to you. Is that is that right? At the time it did because, you know, you figure like I was born like this and from the earliest stage, like I don't, I think I have like one memory of never having to be catheterized. Um, from the moment I like learned, like remember how to get around, I was in the braces already. So it was like when I first got them, it, I couldn't, I couldn't, I wasn't strong enough to like move around in them and I would either use a walker to help get around, but then it got to a point where it was easier to just kind of like scatter around on the ground and, and, and move around army crawl different positions, um, to get from one room to the next. Uh, I was, I was very like, I wanted to do everything on my own. I didn't like when people would help me. Uh, we actually, we, we set up like this whole rig in our kitchen so that I would have this rope next to the fridge. So I would have a backpack. I would crawl out to the fridge you know, get, get through the doorway, have to kind of throw myself sideways, configure, move around. And I would grab the rope, pull myself up and then just get my snacks from the fridge, do what I had to do. And then, you know, crawl my ass back out. <laughs> and, you know, it was all fine. We would keep everything on like the bottom shelf so I could reach it still. Yeah. Um, I never could get ice cream on my own because it would just, it would be melted by the time I got back. <laughs> oh, <man. You> know? <laughs> so that I didn't mind asking for. All right. You're in these braces from three to about seven. So you have to start school with these braces on? Yeah. So when I got out of them, it was like six and a half and I I was getting ready for kindergarten. So getting ready for kindergarten, going in there, um, I was still having medical issues because of all the other side effects from the first surgery. So one of the big things that started happening around seven years old was I was getting a lot of uh, bladder and urinary tract infections. Mm -hmm. Um, and they weren't sure why basically what was going on was because of what happened. My bladder wasn't growing properly. So the second surgery that I had, the first one was around three. The second one, it was at seven. That was the bladder augmentation. So what they did then was they basically cut my bowel in half and attached it to my bladder and Frankenstein a new bladder, um, so that it could grow properly. So that would trigger bowel problems now later down the road so as everything every surgery just kind of yeah it fixes this problem but causes another and one of the big issues now was like i had to retrain my bowel so the coming out of that surgery like 
if I, when I had to go to the bathroom, I had to go to the bathroom. Like there was no holding it for 20 minutes. It was like, it's either I go here or we're going to have an accident. And as a little kid, man, that's awful. So going into school like that, I did a lot of homeschool the first like two years and I would be like in class for a little bit and then I would have to leave for surgery. I would come back and then I have to be there Um, to the point where actually my mom was almost like a, like a teacher's aide because I needed such hands on throughout the day. Uh, She would basically come to school with me and be like a teacher's assistant and help out a lot there for those first few years um, for like kindergarten through second grade. And it was weird because now I have the braces off and I have all these medical problems, but I don't look, look sick anymore. So it was like, it was a different target now on my back. Um, here I am like a seven year old having to wear diapers to school because of the lack of uh, muscle control from the surgery. And I'm getting made fun of for that for now. So that was like really my first exposure to getting bullied was like second grade, getting really picked on about having to be in a diaper still. You know, kids were thinking I'm just like some kid that pees my pants because I'm, just, you know, some weirdo. And, you know, you can't you don't know how to articulate yourself. And I think that was like one of my first actual like physical fights. Like I got into in second grade cause some kids started pushing me and picking on me and we just threw some fist and you know, it got broken up. Uh, but it was that, it was that early on in second grade that like I was starting to get physically and, you know, emotionally bullied by other kids because of my, these medical problems that I had no control over. I know how kids are at that age, so they can be pretty brutal. Uh, so I, I'm not surprised that uh, you got pushed to the point where you're throwing some fists. But did that continue throughout elementary school and, and into high school, just continuously? Yeah, it, it did, because I grew up in Juniata Park, which is um, not not the nicest areas of Philadelphia. And then we moved to Bucks County. So I, I started uh, third grade in Bucks County and it was like, oh, I'm at a new school. Like I refused to wear any type of diapers. Um, now I paid the price at times because man, there were accidents. And it's like, I, what I had to do was I had to keep, <laughs> I hated this, this bag. It was a red bag that my mom used and it would stay in the nurse's station. And it was like, it kept all my catheters, kept a change of underwear, and because I wasn't allowed to catheterize myself until uh, I think maybe like fifth grade. Uh, so I would always have to have a nurse. So that was always another weird thing, too, is I had to get very accustomed to strangers basically touching my genitals all the time. And it was weird. I never once was ever, you know, touched inappropriately. Thank God because mm-hmm. I didn't have to deal with that. But it was something that, you know, you're, I don't know this lady. And now I got to, hey, how you doing? Okay, cool. Here, touch me. You know, and it was, it was very uncomfortable and people would start asking questions. Why are you always going in the bathroom with the nurse? And, and I, and I was embarrassed and I was like, uh, I'm a diabetic. I have to get it. I have to get a needle. <laughs> like, that's what I would tell people for the longest time because I didn't want to be like, I have to pull my pants down and she has to catheterize me. And it was like my dark secret. And I was very ashamed of like my medical issues because I was already tormented from them. And being in a new environment was kind of like, well, I'm going to hide this and nobody's going to know. And that backfired too, because as I got older, you know, close friends, you, you confide in them and, you know, girls get in the way. And I had one, one of my friends tell a girl about it because he was jealous. So that kind of got out in high school was like, so you, 
you have to do that when you go to the bathroom. And I was like, yeah. And, you know, I was very ashamed of it. And I and I still throughout high school would start getting picked on. Middle school was bad because, you know, kids are trying to, you know, show their alpha male and I'm an easy target. And well, they thought I was an easy target. I was very, very quiet, but it, it got to a point where I started, you know, defending myself and getting into confrontations and getting into altercations with fights with people then. And, and that kind of led to, well, I'm already fragile enough I, and I'm getting attacked and it took years of convincing my mom to let me do some form of martial arts. You know, growing up, especially in the braces, man, I used to sit and watch movies all the time. Um, I mean, Conan was like my hero growing up. Uh, you know, I grew up without a dad. So any of these like eighties action hero were like my male role models, you know? Yeah. So you, you said the word torment that's got to be a different uh, sphere of torment, though, for, for, for you having to deal with that and um, try to explain it and try to cover it up and, and, and then have to get, find someone to confide in and some instances of betrayal there, too. So that's all of that stuff has to have taken you to some really dark places. It did. You know, it, when, you're, when you're growing up, man, puberty in itself is crazy. And you're, you throw in any other extra element to this and it could just be a recipe for disaster. And, you know, when I was a little kid, you kind of just went with the flow and you have your moments where you're upset here and there. But as a teenager, it really started to, to affect me mentally, physically and emotionally. And dark places is just an understatement of what happened. Um, I think it's a total uh, like seven surgeries before I was 21, 25 ish that I've had. And the first one being three with the, with the back and the shunt. The second one, my bladder augmentation. My third one was actually a knee surgery because I finally, as I started getting around, I was so active as a kid. Like I hated being tied down from these braces and all these medical issues. I was very active. I wanted to play sports. I wanted to do all, I wanted to do everything, but I was extremely fragile, not only because of the issues, but because of how undeveloped my muscles were not walking normally. Like you, you develop these muscles growing at, at all these, you know, basic motor skills. My motor skills were developed differently with moving around on the ground than normal. So if I fell and hit my knee the wrong way or hit my leg the wrong way, I, I fracture something. And it, ha and it was happened all the time. Um, but I, I decided to play basketball. I kind of got away with doing it. And I, I fell. I hurt my knee. And I don't have a whole lot of feeling in my right leg. So I didn't realize how bad it was. And it turned out that I, I really did some damage to my knee. So I had my first knee surgery when I was in seventh grade. That one wasn't too bad. It, it, it sucked because the recovery, I was in an immobilizer brace. So that's like six months of not bending your knee properly or using your leg. And, and that was awful. The second knee surgery was when I was 16. And, and you talk about dark times. That was the one that basically broke me. Um, with that surgery, I didn't care that I had to have another surgery. All I cared about was not being in a brace again. Like that's all I was like begging the doctor, the orthopedic about was like, please just do, do I need an immobilizer brace? And he's like, no, 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 you're good. You're good. I'm like, are you sure? Like I just, I was so concerned on that. And I think what it is, is, you know, going back now as I'm older and you're kind of reliving this and talking about it to people, it, it's almost like a form of PTSD. I think like 
the, the word braces were like a trigger word for me. And I was just, I didn't want to be in that. And I remember after that surgery, I woke up and I was in an immobilizer brace. And man, I, I just, I lost it. I was crying in the hospital and that broke my spirit and mentally just checked out because I didn't really recover from that mentally because I was, I was 16. I'm exposed to these heavy drugs, um, already pissed off at the world now with everything. I'm being tormented. Going to school was, it was a nightmare every morning because I didn't understand what was going on with my stomach still. So I'm waking up with all these stomach problems, trying to go to school, going there, worrying if I'm going to, you know, shit my pants on the way there. And then I have to deal with all this. And then I have to fight my way to class with literally an altercation because somebody's picking on me. Um, so when I said torment, it really kind of was, it was, I hated high school. Uh, luckily I had a good group of friends that kept me somewhat sane, but it wasn't enough. And after that second knee surgery, I started really abusing the drugs that I had exposed exposure to. Uh, I developed a, a bad drug problem. Uh, I actually overdosed in the middle of class and that was a scary moment in my life because it makes you realize like, man, you don't really want to go. And then you are depressed about everything. And then you start second guessing that again. Um, I think between, you know, 10th, between ninth and 12th, 11th grade, um, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of therapy, a lot of outpatient treatment, uh, a lot of some inpatient treatment, you know, you're, you're having trouble dealing with all this stuff and it's going on. And I got to a point where I just started really letting my anger and my rage get to me and just blowing up at the littlest things, you know, and you, know, you go to therapy, you're trying to tell a therapist what's going on and they're, they just want to medicate you. So I was heavily medicated for a good year and that, that didn't help at all. I know medication helps for some people, but in my situation, it was more kind of hiding and masking and just numbing you from what was going on. You know, I was having the reality check that I had these issues in my life and I didn't want to accept them. And, and therefore I, I just, I, I mentally couldn't take it anymore. Wow. Can I ask about the the support system that you had in place? Because you had to have something there to anchor you. Because I I have not been through anything like this. And I feel that darkness pulling. And I'm like, how? How how is this? How are you still hanging on and, and, and pushing through this? It's a tough question. Because at different times, it was different things. You know, like... When you, when I was a little kid, it was just being happy and my mom, you know, keeping me occupied and keeping me safe. When I was in my like adolescent years, it was uh, my best friend growing up. Like, you know, we had a good group of kids on the, on the street that we all grew up with in high school. It was my girlfriend, you know, like I was able to kind of confide in her and we spent a good few years together. Like I can honestly say my high school girlfriend was awesome. You know, I had good times. There's a lot of bad times, of course, you know, I messed up, she messed up, but I had that kind of structure there. Um, but I never had a good outlet to be honest. Um, there was never really like, I would go to these therapists and you know, you're telling them what you're going through and they're looking at you like, dude, I don't know what to tell you. Like, ah, here, you know, here's some medicine. I don't know. Like there was never really any good guidance to be, you know, to be honest. Um, I think that's why when I found martial arts, cause I wanted to do martial arts all growing up in my first 
when I got I started doing Taekwondo when I was like 14. But then that that knee surgery, the second knee surgery took me out. So that took martial arts away and I replaced it with drugs. Um, you know, luckily I, I was able to kind of get out of that scene just in time. Uh, some of my friends that I went to high school with are no longer here because they didn't get out of that scene. So it's like, geez, man, I, I dodged a bullet there. Thank God. Yeah, it, it seems counterintuitive uh, with all the injuries uh, that uh, you were prone to to be drawn to martial arts. So <laughs> how did you get introduced to jiu-jitsu? Well, like I said, I, I did Taekwondo first. That was fun. The knee surgery took me out, and that was a relief. Um, when I was 19, I actually had my, had my son um, mm-hmm. when I was 19. And that was a big change in, in my life for me because now it's like, man, you're responsible for somebody else. And my dad wasn't around when I was a kid. He wasn't in, in the picture for, for me and my mom. And it was kind of like a reset button in a way. I still was growing and I still was messing up and I still had a lot to learn. And I still do. Um, but I, I started doing Kempo again just because I'm like, man – going through, you know, I was going through a split with my kid's mom and I was like, what well, was one of the things that I always wanted to do back in martial arts. And I was working out, I was staying healthy because when I'm not hurt, I'm pretty healthy. I'm in shape. I work out two to three times a day, six days a week sometimes. Um, but fortunately I get hurt. Uh, thank, knock on wood, man. I've been good the last like decade, nothing crazy, nothing like out of the whack. I, I hope I got it all out early. Um, but it was something that like, I found, I found the peace in, in training. And when I, when I had the opportunity, I started doing Kempo and it was great, man. I was, was loving it. I was enjoying it. The, the school I was in was, was a lot of fun. And my instructor was, we were part of a system that didn't like you training other styles of martial arts, which that's culty to me yeah. and I don't like that mm-hmm. and he was secretly training jiu-jitsu Brazilian specifically um, he was dating a girl whose dad was a Brazilian jiu-jitsu instructor and he saw the ways yeah and um, you know I started doing a little bit of that and I had to go out for a, a minor procedure I had a, a cyst on my tailbone that I had to get removed but it was of course no pro- no procedures ever easy so that was a process and I remember like being down like I, that's all I wanted to do was jujitsu just jujitsu 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 and I was like 20 years old at the time and like in the prime shape of my life at the, at the I thought at the moment <laughs> and when I remember the moment I was able to kind of get back into training and, and doing it I just fell in love with it like the first jujitsu class, when they're showing like all these like drills and movements on the ground, and they're the movements that I had to do to like actually get around when I was a kid in the braces. It was just like, dude, you're kidding me, right? This is like what we're doing, and I just crossed the mat. It's like <laughs> it was like I've been training my whole life for this, you know, kind of feel. What was it then about jujitsu that really spoke to you? Uh, other than you feeling natural pulling yourself across the mat, there had to be something else that. Uh, well, you mentioned uh, not feeling a, a, a part of the that whole culty uh, attitude, but um, was there something else that uh, once you were in it, you were like, "I belong here. This is it. This is home." Um, I, I feel like grappling was always something that came very natural to me. Um, 
even like just wrestling around with friends and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It was just always very natural. And I, I wasn't allowed to play contact sports when I, was, I was a, when I was a kid. And I remember being in middle school. And they kind of expose you to all the all the different sports, and they did wrestling in one day, and I went up against one of the wrestlers, and it's not like I, I destroyed them or anything, but I did extremely well against the kid, and the, the coach was like, "Why are you not on the wrestling team?" And I was just like, "Because I'm not allowed to play full contact sports," and it was like, and then they're looking at me like I'm being some kind of like sissy or something, and like, "Well, you look fine," and I'm like, "Yeah, I know, but." Like if I, if I, apparently if I get into a real bad, like impact accident, like my shunt could lodge and move and that could cause all kinds of issues. So that's why they always kept me away from full contact sports. So I'm like, oh, all right. So I'm old enough to kind of make my decisions and I was doing it and I was falling in love with it. And I, I battled with that question for a long time on like, what is it about jujitsu that really resonates and it, it, it really is a form of therapy, but so is any type of art or anything that you love, a craft that you can do and get lost in is a form of therapy for you. So with me, with jiu-jitsu, was, it was kind of really tapping in all the basic things that we as humans need. The contact, learning, growing, security, variety, contribution, like all these major, major things that produce natural happiness. And it it became like this this form of peace in my life and i found myself being less angry being able to kind of get this adrenaline dump out that really you don't get from many other workouts and it was just something that really resonated plus your training partners they become your family your best friends um there's a bond that gets created in the in the jiu-jitsu scene that the only thing I've ever seen really compare is the bond that military people have with one another. And I don't know if it's just a form of being in such a combative state of like, I have to trust you with my life. Because when I'm applying um, a submission, when you tap, like you you are trusting that I'm not going to keep pulling this and break your arm. You're trusting that if I'm strangling you, that when you tap... I let go or that if you go unconscious, I let go. Like that's like one of my favorite things to say to people, like when they're being stubborn and hold on to a choke and go out, like I help them get up. And then the moment they're like there, the only reason you woke up is because I let go (laughs) and it it messes with them. And I'm not like trying to be like a jerk or anything, but it's just like, there's this trust there. And And I trust you that if you catch me with a choke and I go out because I'm stubborn, and I know I am, and it happens, um, that I'm going to wake back up because you let go. So it, there's this this camaraderie and bond that gets formed that is just, it's so addictive. And, you know, it's great. And, you know, whether you're training for a hobbyist or a competitor, like there's just, there's a thrill of this trial and error and this process of, I'm going to keep doing this move and messing it up until I get it. And I don't care if it takes one time or a thousand times um, or 10,000 times. I'm going to keep doing it. And it's really taught me in life that there really is no such thing as failure. Failure is quitting. That's that's the difference. Um, Every time I do something and mess it up, I get a little bit smarter at it. Not Not a lot, but you get it a little bit so you don't mess it up as much anymore. Yeah, and that and that that gives you such a empowering feel for just your yourself. It's uh, it's really kind of amazing that to have 
grown up with bullying and and not being able to trust people and uh you know not being sure you know who's who's out there for you that uh, you've come to this place where the way you talk about it, it's built around trust and camaraderie and 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 uh, you know brotherhood or so what do you pull from your uh from your experiences into your training now it, it do you do you just take all of that and throw it into the mix i mean how does that work such as what like my experiences yeah um i don't know i, I honestly like it's until moments where i'm kind of talking about it with somebody that i even like it kind of resonates. I'm like, Oh man, that was so long ago. Like I, I don't, that, that's another lifetime. Um, so I, I, I bring it in when I'm going through like a hard time more, like as a reminder, like life sucks. There, there can be some negative negativity and you, you have to acknowledge that, but you can't just focus on it. And that's really what it's kind of taught me with everything, even like with what we're going on right now with this quarantine. Um, it's a very negative impact on a lot of people's lives. And I have to acknowledge that. Like I can't be just ignorant and be like, ah, it's all perfect positivity. Cause that's, that's unrealistic. Um, but I'm going to acknowledge the negative. I'm just not going to focus on it. I'm going to focus on something positive and then I can build from there. Sometimes, like I said, if we can start at ground zero of being positive, you're healthy, your family's healthy, mom healthy, my family's healthy. That's the best thing out of this scenario right now. And, and I keep that grounded. And then I can kind of work from there. Okay, cool. What else? Well, I'm getting time to learn a new hobby. Like I really want to learn gardening. So I've been, you know, doing a lot of that. Um, I have renovation projects in my house. Like we're turning the basement into an in-law suite. So now I have time and I'm almost done. Um, the, one of the coolest things is the family dinners right now, like with uh, us and our kids, we're all on separate schedules. So we don't get to eat dinner a lot and we're having dinner like four or five times a week together. And it's, it's fun. Um, and if our schedules permitted it, we would do it more, but it's nice to kind of have that family feel again. Um, so it's like, there's always something positive. Like I can't wait to get back to hanging out with my friends cause my family's driving me nuts at times, <laughs> but it's just, you know, you, you got to find something and keep yourself occupied, find that positive, positive you know, side of it and just kind of focus on that. And sometimes just that little thing can help you get through like an extra week of, of torture. And, and that's kind of like what it's taught me throughout. So like when I go through these training camps, when I, when I compete, I'll do like a good six week training camp. Um, and I just, it's my, my training just gets a little more intense than it is now, but it mentally, like, it's fine. Like, I don't care. Like, it really doesn't push me. Like, I just know I just keep grinding it out and that's fine. As long as I don't die doing it, I'm okay. And you, you don't realize like how much you really can take physically, mentally, and emotionally. Um, it does, does pile up and like, I get my bad days, man. Like where it's like, oh, today's just a rough day, man. I'm just going to sit and play some video games or watch a movie. And you have to have those. So now you teach, you train with celebrities, you continue to compete too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, competition. I have to be really careful for, I don't just jump into any one because you know, you can get hurt on any given time. And if I at least wanted to be worth something, if I'm going to risk that, yeah, no, I, I like it. Competitions, it, it's it's fun. It's a, it's a, a whole different beast, man. Because you're not 
you're not just fighting the person you're the competitor you're fighting yourself more than anybody so given what you've been through then do, do you and I, I don't I don't want to sound callous but do you kind of smirk when anybody comes up to you with motivation issues <laughs> ah, you know when you when you sent me that question it was it was interesting because my perspective has changed as I get older with this yeah and when I was younger, I was very embarrassed of my situation and I didn't want to talk about it. I was ashamed. And then it got to a point where I was able to talk about it. And, you know, you're telling people and they're like, oh, my God, how, how are you here with a smile? And, and that kind of skews things because now you're just like, well, I've been through this. I've been through this. And then somebody else is like, well, I, I lost my girlfriend, you know, and then you're just <laughs> like, the perspective doesn't compare. But what I learned is it does. And it, it skewed me for a little while until I would say like the last five years, because I understood that it is perspective because even though I've been through a lot, if I told my story to say like a Holocaust survivor, they're going to look at me and be like, yeah, you cool. You pee through a tube. And I'm going to be like, Oh yeah, you went through that. So their perspective of like, that's their worst situation ever you, you got to kind of imagine like everybody's going through that. And as you get older, hopefully it's not too bad of an experience, but you're, you're going to realize like, man, you can take a little bit more or, or you can't, I don't know. So it, it, I tried to look at everybody like when they're telling me what they're going through, like at this moment, it's the worst thing for you. And that's comparable to my worst thing. I mean, you know, I, I'm I'm relatively new to martial arts still, so you know I. Uh, I'm, yeah, what do you what do you train? I hear you talk about martial arts uh, <laughs> with some of the other guests. Yeah, so I I have been studying. I'm not trying to like call you on it or. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's fine. Um, I, I've uh, I've been taking a, a kempo based karate system for uh, almost three years now, so I, I'm still really green and and still really new to it all. And I'm also taking, uh, I'm studying FMA. I'm studying Sayakali. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. So yeah, I've uh, I've I've tried to immerse myself in in martial arts and uh whenever i think i I can't do anymore because i'm not getting something or i don't understand it i meet somebody like you inevitably that uh has pushed beyond what i think is you know is is capable of any human but (laughs) so i'm just i'm saying that uh your story is inspirational and i hope it inspires uh someone else that's listening too because um, what you've been through and what you've managed to uh, do from that and uh, become from that is is really amazing, dude. That's just an incredible story. Thank you. I appreciate it. You, you know, it, it it's it's weird because I don't have the same view on it as I did when I was younger. And it I know I've been through a lot and I know that everybody's going to go through life and you got your own story and -and so-and-so's got their own story. Um, But as I get older with this, and I hope it can share with people to help out in a way because even though you're going through something, like, man, just just hang in there and just try to find something that you can actually take away from this and own – Turn it around that you actually own the situation instead of it owning you. And that's really what yeah. it was that was like the biggest change in me was not like, oh, this, this pinnacle moment, but it was like, I don't have control over this, only the way I perceive it and the way I take it and how I behave toward it. And and that is when I started kind of controlling that was really the defining moment in my life where it was like, all right, cool. You can almost kind of take anything after that. 
And I don't want to keep taking anything, trust me. Um, and I know I'm going to still face big hurdles in my life. I'm, at one point, I'm going to have to lose close friends. Um, one moment, I'm going to have to be quarantined and locked into my house for a month and have my business at jeopardy. <laughs> you know, I don't know. So you, know, you never really know what's going to be thrown at you. And I have no control over this virus situation or the the fact that I can't open my business right now. And my wife was like, man, you're kind of relaxed right now. Like, because everything's out of my hands. So I'm the things I have control over, I'm going to work out, I'm going to get my projects on, and I'm going to learn some things. <laughs> so one of my guests, uh, Lewis Tan, said something that, that stuck with me. Uh, you never lose. You either win or you learn. Yes. At least that's what we tell ourselves to feel better about the loss. <laughs> and I'm going to say that that's some true shit right there because when you compete and you lose, yeah, you learn. You're going to figure out well, what did I do wrong. And then you usually know and you're like, oh, well, I learned something. I feel at least a little better about it. No, you want to win. Um, yeah. Don't lie. Um, <laughs> you, we just tell ourselves that way so we can at least spin it around. We're, we're good bullshitters. <laughs> But it, no, it is true. You're going to learn. You're going to learn something just from the experience, and th- and that's really more or less what it is, what it comes down to is you're not you're not doing it because you have this desired outcome. Yeah, winning is great, but in a competition, when are you going to lose? When are you going to win? So it's more about the experience and how you behave and handle and what you take from that and how you learned as a person. Like competing on a on a in a jujitsu tournament, usually there's like. 12 mat, mats and you got a bunch of people fighting and then you get to like some of the pro levels where it's a stage and it's just you and that person and everybody's watching you guys and i remember the first time doing something like that i thought i was gonna have like a heart attack walking out on the mat i'm like why am i doing this and i don't even enjoy the experience i'm like scared of it you're frightened you're walking out you don't even remember and then you're like it's over what happened and that's your memory of that experience so like you learn from that. Okay, well, what do I got to do to make the next one a better outcome, better result, but also what, what can I do better for the experience of myself? And I remember going through this process of like, all right, cool. I'm going to go through the psychological battle of telling myself I'm excited about this. Um, this is what you want to do. And you're basically lying to yourself and to believe it. But at a certain point, you that starts to take over. And now at a point when I walk out onto the stage, like even before that, like I'm I'm actually really excited to perform what I love in front of people. And I get to do what I love and, and showcase it and I'm gonna have a good time. And then I can actually remember every detail, every little second of the match. Um so it it's again, it's about controlling yourself and, and you are going to learn from the That's process. Cool. That's awesome. All right. Uh, let's do uh, let's do a quick lightning round. And have some fun. Yeah. I mean, I've been having fun this whole time. I'm sorry. You aren't. <laughs> no, you're awesome. You're awesome. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, first thing that comes to mind, ready? Mm-hmm. Who's cooler, Judge Dredd or the Dread Pirate Roberts? Judge Dredd. <laughs> and I ask that because for anybody who has not seen Steve Austin, have dreads. Uh, he's got a <laughs> full head of dreads, like a like a long, long dreads too. How long you had these? I, they're they're my they're my weapon. I can choke you with them. That's the only reason I. Have them. <laughs> they look awesome. All right. Um. Uh. What is your favorite midnight snack? Midnight snack. Honestly, cucumbers. Cucumbers, really? Yeah. Nice. Okay. Uh. You mentioned ice cream. Uh. At the top of the show. What's your favorite ice cream flavor? Vanilla. I know it's basic. Vanilla. Yeah, just vanilla, man. Vanilla would have like a little bit of peanut butter in there. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. Uh, beer, wine, or whiskey? Going rum. Really? Yeah, I'm a rum guy. I'll, out of those, I'll take whiskey if it's not a, if rum's not available. Nice. What kind of rum? Um, 
Kraken's my, my new thing. From where, where is that from? Uh, I'm not really sure. I, I, I know it's a spice rum. Uh, I, you know, you can go traditional captain, but somebody introduced me to Kraken and I've been, I've been really digging it. It's got like a caramel flavor. So very cool. Try to get a sponsorship with them. Oh no. Hey, look at that. <laughs> Kraken. If you're listening, pay attention guys. <laughs> All right, um, and let me do a quick last one. And uh, of course, this is trick questions. Hopefully, you get it right. But what's your favorite podcast about kung fu martial arts? And now, Steve Austin BJJ too. Kung fu driving, man. <laughs> you ever get anywhere that so says much. something different? <laughs> uh, yeah, but I always cut it ah, out. There you, you know? go. <laughs> Benefits of editing, right? Nah. nah, man. Your podcast, I love what you're doing. It's really cool. After seeing all the different people you have on there, I mean, I know you you're usually bringing on people that are more involved with the, with the movie industry than I am. Um, I'm hoping to get more involved with it, but it it was really actually educational listening to some of the people because I have a a fascination for the fight choreography scene and they've been getting a little bit exposure to it and getting into it. So hearing all the different stories and learning and hearing different people's journeys with that, it's been very inspirational for me. So thank you. Thank you so much for, for, for coming on the show. Uh, I I do have a, a, a uh, couple last questions for you before I let you go though. What are you currently working on uh, and what will you be getting into once this is all over? And then most importantly, where can my audience go to find out more about you and Scion BJJ and all of that good stuff? So um, right now, I mean, only thing I got going on is prison workouts in my basement. Uh, so hopefully <laughs> once this is all over, uh, I can get back to normal and teaching, but I've been really um, interested in getting into the fight choreography scene and I've been going out to California training with the guys from 8711 a lot and getting a chance to uh, teach and learn from them. So I'm really hoping to get more involved with some of that stuff. So fingers crossed. Cool. And um, I'm on social media, Steve Austin BJJ. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook. Just if you get a bald guy with a goatee, it's not me. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not the bald guy. So Maybe the goatee, but you definitely not the bald guy. Yeah. yeah, most of the time I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I have a Twitter account. I don't really go on too much, but Instagram is probably one of the best ways to find me. Very cool. Yeah, and uh, I follow him there. And uh, do you have a YouTube channel too? Is that right? I do. I just don't post enough to it. I'm still really learning the whole video editing and all that kind of stuff. Um, Instagram is just a lot easier to kind of post to. Um, so I know I, I do want to get more content on my YouTube page. It's it's on my to-do list. Nice. All right. Well, listen, best of luck with everything that you have going on. Uh, Hopefully, like I said, hopefully we're on the other side of this sooner rather than later. Uh, Best of luck with Scion BJJ. I hope that continues to grow and thrive. And like I said, when we were talking, I hope to be able to get down there once this is all done and meet you and and shake your hand and and maybe uh, have you throw me around for a little bit and teach me a little bit about BJJ. Uh, It'd be my pleasure, man. It'd be (laughs) awesome to get a chance to hang out with you. Awesome, Steve. Best of luck. Stay safe. Stay strong. Stay home while we have to but otherwise uh, get out there and get back on the mat and thank you again so much for for sharing your story with me my pleasure thank you for giving me the opportunity to my thanks to steve austin for sharing his very personal and very inspirational story with me despite all that he's dealt with the guy finds a way to stay positive and optimistic and it's a nice thing to hear especially as this pandemic wears on after this is over if you're in the southampton pa area check out his school scion bjj Look for the guy with a smile and the full head of dreadlocks and let him know that you heard him right here on the Kung Fu Driving Podcast. Otherwise, you can follow Steve on Instagram and Facebook, and those links will all be in the show notes. Otherwise, I wish him the best of luck, and hopefully, I'll get to check out the school someday myself. 
In the meantime, give me a follow on all my socials as well, and if you have a chance, drop me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. We're not necessarily making waves in the podcast world, but maybe a few sizable ripples, so let's keep the momentum going. And until next time, Poison Clan, peace. Poison Clan rocks the world. Shouting monks on the hands, running down the thousand stairs. The fate of Lee Khan, now's in King Yu's hands. With the fearless idea, roaming over the land. Yeah, the little bit soldier is old, otherwise, he wants a world of peace because he doesn't want to fight. Yo, got the venom mob laying down the law. Bruce Lee delivered kicks, guaranteed to raise jars. Fight for the cars, then pause here, the applause. Not the end back kicks will defeat the outlaws. Very good, but boards don't hit back. Yeah, the death jewels here, David is coming back. The Tai Chi master, Jetley's even faster. The child a little drink because he is the drunken master. Once upon a time in China, Rosamund Kwan is real fine, but see, Maggie chose his spine. Golden Swallow has arrived. Chan Chi movies will the hero will survive. We've got the brave archer make his way to the top of the mountain, gonna fight, may as well pick the spot. Yeah, the sky goes black, cause the vampire's back. We've got Lam Ching Ying to kill them all, so stand back. You place the black magic on the soul of the sword, and our sword will travel until his body's on floors. Yeah, Wing Chun Shaolin and Mantis style. Yeah, the Feed the enemy and watch him run for miles Blood will spill now on the mountain tops When we bring back the soul of the legendary pops Walk to the tea house, belly for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's war We smash the place up with a dragon claws We're walking to the tea house, belly for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's war, we smash the place up with a dragon claw. See it's a game of death yo, you're facing the big boss It's once upon a time in China counting the TikTok The Shogun assassin slashing blood is just drip drop The head kick, neck drop, balance the bone stop Wanna kill Bill, better get the assassins He's got Irma just in yellow but she is in the dragon But in the tea rooms, that's where it'll happen She got the bodies on the floor and the blood It'll splatter against the walls, no fear at all To kill them all, there's always blood spilled When you head into a war, fearless Unleashed The fist of legend that the car jet I'm Bolo Young, yo, I'll always be a beast You rumble in the Bronx, yo, I'm rumbling the streets And it's simple, see the facts are these It's only ever gonna be one Bruce Lee Walk into the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's war To smash the place so with a dragon claws We're walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting